I'm Luka Doncic and this is Locked On Mavericks Podcast. This is gonna be huge. 360 in the contract. Never that. I just take the contact. I bring it back. I'm running on the fast break behind the back. Yeah, this that, this that, this that. Jerk with the And welcome. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Nick Angstead, and joining me on the phone, back, reoccurring guest, friend of the pod, Tim Cato from The Athletic. Tim, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I like uh, I like, I like being friendly with podcasts. You know, <laughs> it's it's tough to have good friends in this life, but I love being a friend of a uh, of a of a loving podcast like this one. Of course, of course, and the people love when you're on. And uh, man, there's a lot of of Maverick stuff going on right now. We will uh, we'll talk about it. I'm not exactly sure when this is going to post. Maybe uh, during the week. And so we are recording this Sunday night. Uh, after the Mavericks blew a 30-point lead to the Raptors. So uh, we've probably already talked about it on the podcast a few times, so we won't we won't run that topic into the ground. But we do want to talk about, you know, the Mavericks without Luka and, and everything that we've seen over the last couple of games. And then the Maver- should the Mavericks make a trade? We're going to talk about that as well because um, we've seen this team with Luka, without Luka. We want to see what area needs to be upgraded the most. And then we have to talk to Tim Cato about Luca's shoe deal because he reported it with Sham Sharania. And so we'll get into that. He's apparently signing with Jordan. And so we'll get into that and the details that, that we know of right now. So Tim Cato, let's just start with this. So we had a report from Tim McMahon that um, Luca might be coming back as early as Thursday's home game versus the Spurs. And uh, it's, that's a little surprising to me. I thought maybe they'd take it a little bit you know, more cautiously possibly, but his status is still undetermined. Uh, how are we feeling about Luca's injury? Is, is, you know, is the threat to maybe come back soon? How are we feeling about all that right now? I've seen him working out on the court twice. Uh, I didn't go to Toronto, but I went to Philly, and I saw him the game before that against um, uh, whoever they played, uh, Boston. And against Boston, he was moving well, but very clearly still, you know, a little bit ginger on the on the ankle. Uh, had probably been told, don't don't make sharp cuts, don't don't make sharp movements. He was shooting threes and uh, moving with the ball, dribbling, you know, stepping into to two point shots and floaters around the rim, uh, but wasn't really going hard on it. And then, you know, just a couple days later in 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 uh, in Philadelphia, he was you know, moving much, much better on it was basically, you know, as far as I could see playing one-on-one unhindered with uh, Jamal Mosley, uh, you know, the the Mavs assistant coach who's so often uh, matching up against before games and after practices and things like that. And so, you know, just based on that progress, based on everything I saw, I think that the 26th is incredibly likely that, that he's able to be back for that game. I, I think that, um, you know, ankle injuries always look worse. Not not always, you know. There's some really bad ankle injuries, but they often look worse than they are. And because his was only a sprain, uh, was a lower ankle sprain, didn't have the high ankle, uh, get into that. There's no broken bones or, or you know, muscular, uh, you know, major muscular injury. Uh, so given all that, I, I do think the 26 is a pretty, uh, pretty reasonable timeline. And I would bet money he's on the floor when they play the Lakers in L.A. on Sunday, next Sunday. Oh yeah, that that's going to be a huge game with, you know, Luca versus LeBron again. The rematch. You know, they're one and one. Uh, it should possibly be two and zero oh against the Lakers right now. That's also an ESPN game, so that one's going to be a massive game for them. So you're feeling you're feeling good about Luca. You're feeling like 
Uh, th- we kind of dodged a bullet with this. This is not as serious of an injury as maybe some of us thought at the beginning. At least when you look at it, like you said, they all kind of inj- ankle injuries kind of look worse because his ankle is perpendicular to the ground <laughs> or to his leg. And then we come out of it and it's not super bad. What are you expecting from Luca when he does come back? Are we are we thinking that Luca's going to be back to 100% or is it going to take a little bit of time? What are you personally expecting? I mean, usually, usually when you get an ankle injury, you're 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 usually good when it's when it's healthy. I, I can't, you know, I, I can think of chronic ankle injuries where a player just has bad ankles, but I can't think of players, you know, that are relatively known for you know being healthy players and then get an ankle injury and then it just comes back and nags them all season. That's not right. Can can you? Uh, yeah, like Steph Curry's injuries, if you remember those, like his ankle yeah. injuries kind of lingered and were around for a rot for a while. But yeah, usually an ankle injury like this, and, and we are obviously taking this way out of almost out of proportion because it is Luca. He he matters so much to this team. He's been so good. He's been in the MVP conversation. But I feel like we've talked about his ankle so much, and it it's kind of a minor injury, right? Like he's gonna be out for what you know is like less than two weeks essentially. Yeah, it's a really common injury. It's, I mean, obviously, every anybody who's ever played basketball has sprained their ankle, um, and and I think he's going to be fine. Like, I, I, if unless this becomes a chronic issue with him, and you know, there's no reason to believe that it will. It's, you know, I can't remember him having any ankle injuries last season. Um, uh, you know, I, I think he's going to be fine. I don't think it's going to linger. I, th- I think that he's going to come back and, and be the player that we expect. And sure, you know, maybe the first game he's he's not quite as good and, and you know, has to shake off a tiny bit of rust. But it, ultimately, you know, if he's back on the 26th, he missed five games in two weeks. And, and that's that's nothing. He'll he'll be fine. So. So, yeah, my my uh, my prediction is that he comes back and, and you know, is is the Luca that we're expecting to see. And, you know, all things considered, like you said, I, I think they uh, they really did dodge a bullet with. With, uh, with how non-severe this injury was based off, you know, how it did look and, and you know, the, the early fears of what it could be. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, let's talk about that team uh, without Luka. They've essentially been out, you know, without Luka for five games, and it's maybe the toughest stretch of games that they've had, you know, five consecutive games against the top five teams in the Eastern Conference. And the Mavericks come away with two wins and maybe should have been a third with that Raptors game. Uh, the Heat game, you could have talked me into a win, possibly. The Celtics game was close. I mean, these were all clutch losses, all, all three of those. But how do we feel about this team without Luka? What did they show you? Uh, because, man, this team, it kind of surprised me playing against some of these great teams. Yeah, I mean, a combined 13 points in the three losses is is how much you lost by. And, you know, one of them was in overtime, like you said. It was... Uh, it was impressive as hell. It, it really was. I, I, I was, uh, you know, thoroughly... Um, I think the one thing that I that I really was impressed by, you know, maybe more than anything, is just how fluidly this team kept running its offensive sets, um, you know, even without Luca as the primary playmaker. And you you still see you you know you saw it break down in the Toronto game most notably, where you know they just couldn't generate anything um, against that uh, that that Toronto press was kind of disrupting them. And then once they broke it, you know, they they had 14 on the shot clock. Uh, they were getting into stuff then, and and that really athletic uh, Toronto lineup uh, was really disrupting them in those moments. So you know, they're clearly you need Luca, and you need Luca for moments like that. You need Luca, you know, to go generate stuff for you that that you know not everybody else on this roster can. But overall, you know, just the the fluidity that they, that these you know these screens and and these rolling actions on both sides of the floor at almost all times just kept up. 
you know, it felt like in perpetuity. It's just like, you know, for every second there was somebody, you know, you know, there's there's screening actions on on the weak side and the strong side, and Jalen Brunson was, you know, filled in very admirably for for Luca. You know, uh, Rick essentially made Jalen into the. Uh, the Luca, where he's he's the guy running, you know, in Luca's position, running plays and in actions, and you know, I think we can talk about Jalen a little bit more if you want, because he had a, uh, a some inconsistency, of course, that he dealt with. But overall, this offense just keeps humming, and it really did, you know, even despite not having Luca, and clearly he takes them to a next level. But you know, this team just fits together so well, and and it, it was interesting and, and rewarding to see that it wasn't all just predicated on, on Luca's, you know, brilliance, which, you know, uh, he obviously is, and it, it doesn't take anything away from him. But uh, I, I would say that was my top takeaway from, from you know, these the stretcher games without him. Yeah, coming up, let's get into Jalen Brunson. Let's get into Christoph Porzingis, too. He went on a pretty much a tear for his for his standards right now while Luca was out. So let's get into that, what the Mavericks look like when Luca comes back to this team. All right, Tim, so you mentioned Jalen Brunson. He's kind of been pariah i guess is he's kind of been a pariah i guess that's the word i'm looking for um he's definitely yeah, so. his game has been polarizing in that he's put up numbers he's you know filled in for luca he's played that role like you said he's he's averaging he's essentially averaging a double double i think he's in the last five games and uh, yet still people blame him for the raptors loss because he picked up his dribble in that you know with that last shot they blame him for you know certain things down the stretch and some of these other in these other two clutch losses against the heat and the celtics uh, how did you feel Jalen Brunson filled in for Luca? Um, and what can we expect from Jalen Brunson? Are, were our expectations maybe too high for him? Yeah, I mean, so so he's the most complete playmaker out of that guard trio. They use, you know, Delon and Seth and Brunson. Obviously, Brunson is the most point guardy of those three. The other two are playmakers in their own capacities and in limited situations. Uh, you know, Delon is is someone. Once he gets past you know the first level of defense, he's a uh, he's a really good kickout passer. And Seth can run those side pick and rolls, you know, with a uh, with with a lot of uh, you know success. But Brunson, out of those, is like the most complete. Like I am going to orchestrate your offense and run it to perfection. And and you know, he's a uh, someone compared to Derek Fisher with a little bit more scoring pop uh, the other day. And I was like, yeah, that that's actually really you know really similar in a lot of ways. You know, not not a um, you know, blazing athlete, speed guy, or, or uh, you know, just the best shooter of all time, but but is someone who you know consistently gets to his spots and is steady and and you know does have a, a bit more scoring around the rim, especially with that you know kind of one-footed floater that that he that he bizarrely breaks out and hits all the time. It's uh, such a funky shot that uh, that that he is really excelling at. Um, it's like a it's like the so, Dirk shot, right? It's like the one-legged fadeaway, yeah. but it's it's five feet from the rim so it just looks really weird because we're used to Dirk doing it from like 20 feet but because there's so much space in the Mavericks offense Jalen can get away with that a lot yeah it's funky and he's always off doing that off the dribble you know not out of a post up like Dirk um you know needs a little bit more space on it of course but yeah no it's 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 very Dirk like if you just were to kind of break down exactly you know the technique he's using on it and stuff like that um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think what we saw was it was a player that is still a little inconsistent and, and still can get um, I guess spooked by by really athletical uh, athletical. That's a good word. I like that word. Oh, yeah, it's great. Um, <laughs> I, I hope you do keep it in there because athletical is uh, <laughs> we is, can uh, be that's, that's gonna be the wave. We can be analytical, so they can be athletical. Athletical. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think athletic defenders spook uh, Jalen a little bit. Um, you know, he can he can uh, 
he can uh, try to bite off a little bit more than he can chew sometimes. Uh, you know, it's, it's a good it's a good reminder why when sometimes, you know, fans are like, let's go sign this player. He's averaging 20 and 10. It's like, well, 20 and 10, the numbers are not alone, you know, just exactly <laughs> what a player can do. And I think uh, I, I think that in, in that sense, you know, um, Brunson can do a little bit more than than he should be doing, especially against athletic defenders. You know, he will, uh, you know, get into uh, a spot and, and you know, try to do something that is, you know, within his wheelhouse, but just maybe not the right thing for that setting or that circumstance or something like that. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, he's learning, you know, he's a young point guard. I I think that, you know, point guards obviously is, is the most trying position in the league. And, you know, especially, uh, you know, it does say a lot about him that, that Carlisle has, you know, his full trust behind him. It it seems like, you know, has had no hesitation playing him 30 plus minutes in all these games with, with Luca out. But, you know, I I guess he's, he's just not quite there yet. You know, not as a, not as a full-time starter in that capacity, you know, if, you know, and, and obviously, I, I think in Dallas, that's probably not his future. But you know, if that is is his future at some point in his career, you know, I, I think these are these are learning experiences that are going to get him there. So I'd be curious to hear what you think of him and, and what you make of it, uh, because I thought, you know, overall, I thought he was a lot did a lot more good than bad. Uh, but I like like you said, I, I did see mass fans get a, get a little uh, pissy about like, <laughs> some of the stuff he was doing, and understandably so, because it it felt just like. I guess the stuff that he was doing wrong just felt uh, unlike him or, or kind of like it's stuff that he should have already figured out. Like he does more complicated stuff with ease and is, you know, messing up sometimes on smaller stuff like not picking up your dribble on uh, a play. You got to get a, a dribble handoff to Seth in and, and instead he picks it up and, and breaks up that whole play. So, so yeah, no, I'd, I'd be curious to hear, to hear what you think on this. Yeah, Jalen Brunson, it, the, the experience has been interesting this year because he comes into the year and we're all excited about – you know, Brunson and hoping that, you know, Brea hopefully doesn't take away too many minutes from him and that he gets to, you know, play a lot because at the end of last season, he was playing so well. We were so excited. The Mavericks, you know, nailed a, a second round pick and that he was this complete steal in the draft. And then he, like, gets some DNP CDs at the beginning of the season, too. And he's just, he's kind of in and out. And sometimes he's in the lineup and sometimes he's not. It depends on what night it is. And then all of a sudden, when Luca's gone, then all of a sudden he's the starter and he's playing you know all these minutes. What did he average? He averaged 31 minutes a game when Luca was out and he started all those games. And then all of a sudden the offense was kind of in his hands and he just completely took over. He was like a substitute teacher that, you know, all of a sudden like the teacher died or something and <laughs> he had to, like, completely take over the classroom. And uh, you're like, yeah. well, I'm just, very tragic. I'm just, I'm just a sub. I'm not supposed to be here for the whole year. But um, I thought that his mistakes were I used to say this about Wes Matthews. Wes Matthews has these 10% mistakes where the 10% the 10% are way louder than the 90% of what he does. Wes Matthews would play, you know, solid defense, he'd hit open shots, but then every time he'd post up, it was it was the worst thing in the world on Twitter. Everyone would freak out. Jalen Brunson, he does all these other things really well, but the times when he makes mistakes are in the clutch when normally with the team healthy, he shouldn't have the ball. Or uh, when, like you said, when he tries to do something that's kind of out of his game and tries to do too much, and those are louder mistakes. And so I feel like that's what we've been seeing over the last five games from Brunson. But he's he's proven that he's an overqualified backup guard, but maybe an underqualified, I, I don't even want to say starter, because he, he's been a solid starting level player. He's just not a star player. And that's kind of the role that he's sort of been thrust into with Luka out. Yeah, yeah, like we said, like he he was the Luca replacement. Nobody was expecting him to, you know, put up 30, 10 and 10 on a nightly basis, but he was literally running, you know, the offense 
in in the same position that that Luca was. He was the guy, you know, orchestrating the and starting these plays. You know, he was the direct fill in replacement. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's any surprise that that there was that, that there was some uh, letdown and was was some disappointment and, and all that. And it was kind of interesting to see, especially in this Raptors game, that when everything was breaking down, when the Raptors were making their huge comeback and the Mavericks needed offense, they weren't running their you know motion offense, run everything around, you know, run a bunch of screens, and mostly because they didn't have big men in the in the game, they're going super small to kind of match the Raptors. And Porzingis wasn't in for a little bit there, and Maxi and Dwight barely played at all at the end of the game, but. They kind of went away from that, and it kind of went to just like a Jalen Brunson ISO game or a Seth Curry kind of ISO game. And it's interesting to see, even without Luka, the team sort of relies on that and gets away from what was working with working for them during the game. Do you think that that's you know indicative of, of Carlisle calling things, or did this team just kind of panic in a game like that? Because a couple of people brought it up to me after the game and said, is this what the Mavericks are going to look like during the playoffs? If they, you know, are they going to, you know, like, I guess, hide from the bright lights, and if Luka sits, then all of a sudden this team can't score? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's all working towards, um, you know, I, I think we're still working towards something. We're still working towards an ideal offense that 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 is able to get buckets, you know, without always relying on Luca. I, I think it will be able to, you know, I, I think it, it showed in a lot of instances, you know, throughout these these past five games, it was able to. Um, you know, I, I think that you're always going to struggle without your best player. Sometimes, you know, every team has gone through this. Um, so uh, I and, and we're I, nitpicking here, right? Like they won yeah, two games at at Milwaukee and at Philadelphia, like two of the best teams in the league right now. And uh, yeah, the expectations guess, have just been they, raised so much. I, I look at the concerns of, of like a game like Toronto, and it, it was a really bad game. I guess in some level, it was so historically unprecedented for them to lose that and struggle in the way they did that it's not even concerning to me. Just yeah. like I cannot see you know that scenario being replicated, and obviously you know. We can look at the smaller things that did cause them to struggle, um, but overall, you know, I I I, I take away my takeaway from this two and three stretch over these five games and the way the offense played and really just the entire the way the entire team handled the the, the entire way the team handled it. I was, uh, you know, definitely more impressed and, and pleased than than anything else. Speaking of impressed, Chris Porzingis averaging twenty two point four points and. 13.8 rebounds over these five games that Luca's been out. He's been basically a 2010 machine. Um, what have you seen from from Kristaps Porzingis that we hadn't seen at the beginning of the season? Because he just looked like a different player with Luca out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I would actually kind of push back against that. I don't, I don't think he looked that much different. He was taking more shots and and was clearly you know more of the stuff that Dallas ran for him uh, or runs for him was being run. But but I, I don't think that you know by any means he wasn't going back to New York. Kristaps, uh, you know he wasn't radically changing the, the the style of play. He was still a guy who was mostly getting his shots out of um, you know spot ups and off screens and uh, you know offensive rebounds and in, in, in situations like that. And I think that's that's perfect. He even talked about how you know that was important that he didn't you know fully go back to New York days or, or something like that. Um, so so yeah, I, I think that's relevant. I think that's um, you know the the right step for him to take in that scenario. Um, you know, I didn't want to see him go back to just this ISO guy and 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 all this. I, I think that maybe the one thing we saw more of is, is he was driving more. And, yeah. you know, I, I think that there's plenty of room for him to drive within this offense. A driving Kristaps is a good Kristaps. Um, 
he just has to do it, uh, you know, under control and, and, you know, in the right uh, ways. And I think early in the season, we saw a lot of drives that, that just didn't get to where, you know, he wasn't getting to where he wanted to go. He wasn't getting fouled. He was just ending up, you know, 10 feet closer, but he was going from 20 feet to 10 feet and then posting up and taking a fadeaway. And, you know, I think we saw a lot more drives that went from 20 feet to, to five feet. Um, and he got fouled or he put up a shot, you know, he didn't, he wasn't, you know, the most efficient at, at converting every single one of them. Uh, but overall I was, I was much more impressed, uh, with, with how deep he was getting into the paint and, and, and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I think things are continue to trend up. Um, you know, that's, that's always a, always a good sign. You know, Toronto was a, a bit of a step back in the sense that, you know, not one single shot he made, he made five shots and n- none of them were within the flow of the offense. There was two spot ups, a uh, buzzer beater and, and two offensive putbacks. And that doesn't diminish, like those are good shots. That's an important part of who he is, but he's still developing and, and getting to the point that, uh, you know, he's still working his way to to becoming someone who Dallas will run plays for and he will just be a a true cog within the offense um, that that that, you know, it can be relied on that that can be a second star. You know, he's he's more of a, you know, almost a third star and there's no second star on the team kind of right now um, is, is more how it feels like like uh, his success. That's that's where success has come and that's that's what he's been so far. And. And uh, so, yeah, there's still work to be done. There's there's still, you know, uh, you know, steps to be made. Uh, but but he's getting there. And, and all, all the signs I see are, are definitely pointing towards that. Um, and um, and yeah, so, you know, I, I, I've been saying for a while that he gets this whole year, like, like he gets an entire season to fully come back and to get to where he needs to go. And um, and so I, I as as far as I'm concerned, he's he's well enough on target um for me yeah those those uh buzzer beater threes from the logo those like 35 plus foot buzzer beaters he's done three he's done that, now he's done that three times now and i just think that's the craziest thing to see a guy seven so bizarre seven foot three to hit a shot like that and they're kind of calling it now they're calling for it now at this point the raptors game really felt like that was a designed play to get that ball to Porzingis and to hit it from the logo. But the one thing that, that you mentioned that I really thought was a, was different from Porzingis in the beginning of the season was just his driving with force. He was really putting a lot more, it just, for lack of a better term, umph, like just some umph into his offense and umph into his, his drives. And it got him, like you said, to where he needed to go. And he was able to, to get some stuff done. And I wonder if some of that is just the urgency of not having Luca to rely on out there and to say, hey, if I'm going to do this, I can't just, I'm not going to be able to get bailed out at the end of a shot clock. And I have to get this done myself. I am the guy. I'm the number one at this point. That was the one thing that I think was really changed. I don't think Porzingis' game completely changed overall, but just that one area, I felt like changed a lot of stuff for him and his ability to, to get where he wanted to on the floor. Yeah, I think we're in agreement there. I, I think that that is that is as I kind of talked about it, talked through it. I think that's definitely the one change I saw, and it's a really encouraging one because that's that's something yeah. that we had been waiting to see. And that's it's a completely unstoppable move. I mean, I was comparing him to if you've ever played uh, NBA Two K, played the My Career, and you picked like a, a stretch five, like a sharp shooting center with like rim protection or anything. Uh, you start and you're like a, a 63 or whatever your your uh, player rating, and so you get in the game barely because you barely get played. You're on the end of the bench, and so that when you get when you do get into the game, the things that you can do are block shots, rebound, and uh, you know catch lobs and do stuff around the rim. And that's what Porzingis was doing at the beginning of this of this season. And then you you get some VC, you, you know you're collecting some points, and you're finally getting up there. And then your shot 
kind of starts going down, but you realize you can start driving because it's it's the NBA and it's 2K and things don't really, you know, physics doesn't really matter as much. So you start driving at this giant guy driving on the floor trying to get your own shot, trying to at least get fouled. And that's where it feels like Porzingis is right now. Some of his shots are falling, but he's it's kind of connected with him that, hey, I can drive. I can I can get to the rim and I'm a seven foot three guy that, you know, can get to where I want. And then when I do, I can score over people or, or at least get fouled. And it feels like he gets fouled all the time off these drives in this last stretch. So uh, I, I think that, you know, just think of him. And, and I know I've said this before and other people have as well, but just think of him as a seven three shooting guard and everything about his offense just makes more and more sense as as he kind of clicks into place. Yeah, a 7-3 shooting guard that can pr- protect the rim on the other end, which is, that's fun. Yeah, yeah. All right, coming up, let's get into the Mavericks, where they need to make an upgrade most after we've seen, you know, the Mavericks with Luka, without Luka. Uh, you know, players are able to be traded right now. Let's get into that. And then also, we still need to talk about Luka's shoe deal with Jordan. We'll talk to Tim Cato about that after this. All right, Tim, let's talk about the Mavericks. Where do you think right now, after seeing them for a bunch of games playing well with Luka, a bunch, couple games you know, playing without Luka, where do you think this team needs to upgrade the most, and is there a trade that they can make? I mean, I, I don't think that there really needs to be one. Um, I, I think that, that you know, this team is going to be a playoff team now, uh, you know, barring some catastrophe. And, and because of that, it's easy to speed up the timeline to think about um, improving and winning playoff rounds and things like that. Um, and and kind of gloss over the fact that that they won 34 games last season, um, and and I get it, and that's fair, and, and they they should start thinking a little bit about the playoffs, and you know it, within reason. Um, but but I don't think that this season and and is so pressing that you have to you know give up young players to go get a veteran who's going to help you win a first round. Uh, playoff series. I, I just don't think that they're at this point of, of this team's lifespan and life cycle that, you know, it's just so early in the cycle and they're, they're so new at winning and, and, you know, it's going to be a culture shock for a lot of them in the playoffs for the first time that they're going to have to work through. So, you know, you can't be going into this, this, this playoff with, with a bunch of players who are going to, you know, be in the playoffs for the first time in their career and think, yeah, we're going to make a deep run. You have to go into that with the with the understanding that that this is so much about experience and you're going to win as much as you can um, and maybe you surprise and impress just like they've been doing all season but you know to that point I, I just not sure I would I would uh, you know give up too much to go get uh, you know I don't know like a Rudy Gay or a, or a um, uh, Robert Covington or, or somebody like that um, I'm not totally opposed to the idea you know like like there are some trades out there that I'm open to certainly uh, it doesn't sound like they're interested in in Iguodala, but but he's someone who you know I think would be a useful player coming off the bench if you know I would rather have Iguodala on the bench rather than than Courtney Lee um, the same goes for Rudy Gay um, Robert Covington is is an interesting question only because like he is a little younger you know 29 maybe fits with you a little bit longer term um, but, but if they, if they don't make a single trade, I, I would be perfectly fine with that as well. You know, it, it's, it's not a scenario where you really need to disrupt, um, the rotation because clearly the rotation is working. Um, and, and, you know, if you're able to swap a Courtney Lee, like I said, you know, he hasn't really been playing so that, that doesn't disrupt the rotation. But, you know, if you brought in Iguodala, is the expect expectation that he's going to have to play 30 minutes a night. Uh, I'm not sure that's what's best for this team either. You know, even though in some ways he's an improved Finney Smith, 
Um, in other ways, I don't think he is. You know, I, I think they're comparable defenders maybe at this point of their career, although, you know, I think experience does matter for someone like Iguodala. And, um, you know, Finney Smith is clearly the better shooter of the two, you know, just just to, to keep that comparison, because I think Finney Smith is probably the most comparable player to to what Iguodala would, would bring you. Um, so, yeah, uh, all, all that to say, um, I I am not banning this team for making trades if that was something I even had power over uh, power to do um I, I'm willing to listen uh, I would not be proactive about uh going and finding ones because I don't think that's necessary for where the, the state of this team right now and then the last question um you reported earlier this week that Luca was you know close to getting a deal signed with with Jordan brand you know the shoe th- talk has been you know going on for a long time it feels like how long has this been in the works and do we know anything about the size of the deal the magnitude of it or anything uh i know a little bit i can't really talk about the money just yet um i can't remember if it was reported in espn's uh story or not um who also had some uh, had some stuff on it but but yeah let me just say that like the jordan deal is no surprise if you I, there's a lot of people kind of keeping an eye on what shoes uh luca was wearing and predominant, you know, overwhelmingly, he was wearing Jordans more than anything. You know, even more than like Nikes in general. I think he was by far wearing, you know, the most the, the shoe he was wearing the most, the the brand he was wearing the most was Jordan brand. Um, you know, clearly even off the court, you know, he is a big Jordan fan. That is his, you know, favorite type of sneaker. You know, it's something he enjoys wearing. It's he's comfortable with. It fits his style and all that. You know, he'll mix it up with a, um, you know, a, a Gucci sneaker here and there or something like that. But, you know, he loves wearing Jordans coming into coming coming to games and, you know, clearly is something where where he does have an appreciation for um, uh, for for that for that brand, for that look. So, you know, they got it done. You know, it's it's a it's a lucrative multi-year deal, as expected. Um, it sounds like it's not immediately going to have a signature shoe, but uh, but there's a possibility down the line. Um, you know, maybe sooner than later as, as his, uh, global superstardom can, keeps going, you know, to, to get that signature shoe. And, and, you know, I, am sure that's coming, you know, with the, just the, just the, you know, fully global appeal that, that he has, um, as, as a European superstar. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it wasn't the most surprising thing that it was Jordan and, and, you know, there's other people in the running, but, but I think it was, it was always most likely to, to end up being either Nike or Jordan specifically. And, you know, it's, uh, it's good to see that it's, it's just about done. You know, I, I think if, if it's not done right now, by the time you listen to this podcast, it's, it's just a matter of, of signatures and stuff like that. There you go. Tim Cato. Thanks so much for joining us on Lockdown Maps, guys. We will be back tomorrow. Peace out. Boom. <laughs>